I'm offended by the insinuation, Senator. Well, I guess someone's doing their job then. Well done, Senator. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. To offend some Senator. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1 FM. Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Thank you, affiliates, one and all. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure on this, the final full day of President Barack Obama's presidency. During his uh, final press conference on Wednesday, uh, the president cautioned when it comes to uh, uh, Donald Trump. I think a lot of his views are going to be shaped by his advisors, the people around him, which is why it's important to pay attention to these confirmation hearings. Yes, it is important, but it is damn near impossible. Uh, once again, in the U.S. Senate, we had a whole bunch of hearings, confirmation hearings going on today. We had about four yesterday, all at the same time, all scheduled at the same time to make it as difficult as possible to cover. And it has been difficult to cover, but we're going to continue to do our best uh, uh, to cover it despite that. Um, because this is important, not only as the president says here, but uh, Charlie Pierce at Esquire noted on Twitter, I think this was last night, he said there are 690 Senate confirmable jobs. The new administration has nominated 28 so far. Uh, so uh, as of uh, 12, 15 Friday, Pierce says there won't be an executive branch that could be the case uh, as of 12:15 Friday after Donald Trump takes the oath of office. Um, but of those people who have been nominated so far, even keeping an eye on them and what's going on with their confirmation hearing is no easy feat. As uh, Elise Vebeck at Washington Post notes, President-elect Donald Trump's transition has not had an easy week. That after more than 60 House Democrats announced they would not attend Friday's inauguration. And now it's several cabinet nominees who are under fire for ethical lapses. With one more day until Trump is sworn in, three of his nominees are receiving scrutiny for questionable actions of the sort that have sunk prospective cabinet members in past administrations. 
Congressman Tom Price of Georgia is nominated for Health and Human Services Secretary, bought and sold stock in health care companies that would benefit from legislation he was pushing, she notes. And yes, we will be talking about that with my guest shortly, who is watching this very closely when it comes uh, when it comes to Tom Price. She notes that uh, Congressman Mick Mulvaney of uh, South Carolina, Trump's pick to lead the Office of Management and Budget, acknowledged that he failed to pay more than $15,000 in state and federal payroll taxes for a household employee. And of course, in former administrations, that would have sunk Congressman Mulvaney from, uh, from being confirmed. But this is the Trump administration. This is the Trump era. Nothing really matters anymore. Perhaps. We'll see. Also, Wilbur Ross, who was nominated to lead the Department of Commerce, he had his uh, uh, one of his confirmation hearings yesterday. He said he unknowingly employed a housekeeper who was undocumented. So she was an undocumented immigrant. He had employed her for years and years and years, but he knew nothing about it. And so now he's fired her. So she's out of a job because Wilbur Ross is being uh, uh, nominated to lead the Department of Commerce. Of course, in uh, previous administrations, as I said, that would have led to the uh, to the nominee dropping out. But not so with Donald Trump uh, now now coming into power. Uh, so there are those questions. We're going to talk about some of those and more of the hearings going on today. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us with the Green News Report. Hello, Desi. Are you in one piece? Hello. Yes, I am. OK, very good. <laughs> I know you've been working around the week. clock. It has been a tough week. Uh, for a lot of us. Um, and we're going to cover uh, more uh, of these confirmation hearings in the Green News report coming up in a bit concerning his Trump's EPA pick and his Interior Department nominee as well. Um, Obama gives one last one last gift to the planet, one last parting gift, which is much appreciated. And of course, news on uh, 2016 being the hottest year on record for the third year in a row. We talk also in the Green News Report, we talk about Rick Perry, uh, <laughs> this amazing story from The New York Times uh, last night. It starts this way because I want to just get a, a little bit more detail on this. When President-elect Donald Trump offered Rick Perry the job of energy secretary five weeks ago, Mr. Perry gladly accepted, believing he was taking on a role as a global ambassador for the American oil and gas industry that he had long championed in his state the state of Texas. In the days after, however, Mr. Perry, the former Texas governor, discovered that he would be no such thing, that in fact, if confirmed by the Senate, he would become the steward of vast national security complex uh, that he knew almost nothing about, caring for the most fearsome weapons on the planet, the United States nuclear arsenal. Yes, according to the New York Times, when Rick Perry accepted the job to head up the Department of Energy, he thought it was about oil and gas, not about nukes. Two-thirds of the agency's annual $30 billion budget is devoted to maintaining, refurbishing, and keeping safe the nation's nuclear stockpile. And Rick Perry had no idea. He was up for his Senate hearing today. 
in the, uh, what is it, the Energy and Resources Committee, I yes. believe it was. Uh, this, of course, the Energy Department was uh, one of the uh, list of uh, on the list of agencies that he wanted to s- eliminate entirely when he ran for the Republican presidential nomination back in 2012. That's the one he famously couldn't remember. And then said, oops, said, oops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though when he was asked about it at the time and uh, he stood by uh, his call to dismantle the Department of Energy, saying back then, quote, they've never created one bit of energy. The best I can tell. Oh, brother. Oy. I know. Really? Yeah. Um, so he commented on on that a little bit in his hearing, uh, Des. Uh, he also, it was a very funny exchange between him and Al Franken. I want to play that because nothing else today is funny. So at least we have this <laughs> from uh, Al Franken and uh, and Rick Perry at the uh, his uh, Senate confirmation hearing today. Thank you so much for coming into my office. Um, did you enjoy meeting me? <laughs> I... I hope you were as much fun on that dais as you were on your couch. Uh, well. <laughs> may, may I rephrase that, sir? Please. 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 Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Well, I think we found our Saturday Night Live soundbite. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, was the uh, was the rest as fun? As actually, he w- he was very amiable and very friendly and very forthcoming. So I think it actually helped to break the ice because that happened kind of at the beginning. So after that, he was he was you know really nice to listen to. So um, the interesting part I think was pretty much right off the bat in his introductory remarks, he addressed that Department of Energy eliminating them comment, uh, and he also addressed his position on climate change. Because he's been up until now for years, a climate change denier. Right. I have learned a great deal about the important work being done every day by the outstanding men and women of the Department of Energy. My past statements made over five years ago about abolishing the Department of Energy do not reflect my current thinking. In fact, after being briefed on so many of the vital functions of the Department of Energy, I regret recommending its elimination. Second, let me speak to the issue of climate change. I believe the climate is changing. I believe some of it is naturally occurring, but some of it is caused by man-made activity. The question is, how we address it in a thoughtful way that doesn't compromise economic growth. It affects the affordability of energy or American jobs. Now, uh, it's nice that he doesn't recommend destroying the department that he uh, (laughs) is now going to be heading now that he needs a job. I guess he's fine with it. That's good. Uh, And also good, Desi Doyen, that uh, he doesn't appear to be a climate change denier anymore uh, according to those comments not quite as much so yeah that's the good news coming out of that he has been converted somewhat to science uh, after meeting with the department of energy scientists and seeing all of the great and amazing innovative work that they're doing he has been converted i believe talking to actual scientists it'll do that as for opposed you. to your funders at the coke uh, at coke industries uh, that that will do it for surprise. you surprise
guys. But yeah. yes, the climate change denial thing, that is still a problem because remember, he's he's like other Republicans and Donald Trump's other cabinet nominees. He has moved on to the second stage of climate state, climate science denial, which is he now admits, yes, humans are it is happening and humans are causing it. But now the question is how much humans have to do with it, the amount that humans contribute. That's to the it. question, according to them. And That's we've the heard question, this, according to them. We heard this this week uh, from Rick Perry. We've heard it from Scott Pruitt. From uh, Ryan Zinke. Yeah. It the, was up uh, for Interior. And Scott Pruitt, the EPA nominee. Yes. Yeah, so um, that, so that's what I mean by So the, how much is it uh, actually uh, man causing global warming, according to the scientists? Well, according to Dana Nuccitelli, he's an environmental scientist and physicist who reports on climate science for The Guardian in the UK. He says, quote, experts say approximately 100 percent of observed <laughs> warming since 1950 is due to humans. So now there's some question, you know, we could get into scientific detail about, you know, what's natural and what isn't, but it's all since 1950 attributed to humans. So, Des, this is good news. They're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Now he, that they're talking to scientists and now that they actually have to do something about yes, this. Yes, and, and he promised that he was going to protect the DOE as much as he can against budget cuts. There have been uh, some, some very serious rumblings from the Trump transition team that they want to cut some very important areas of Department of Energy research states rely on all of these. They had a very bipartisan resistance to that at this hearing uh, because there's so many rely on Department of Energy research and funding and uh, and basically. Yeah. Now, not to cut you off, Des, uh, not know, to not to be like a time. senator here at these <laughs> hearings who had to you know continuously cut off the witnesses because they're given so little time. Uh, by the Republicans in these uh, in, in these hearings. But uh, let me move on to another one who had his hearing today, Stephen Mnuchin. Uh, this was at times very contentious, contentious confirmation hearings uh, in the Senate Finance Committee today with Trump's Treasury Secretary nominee Mnuchin, a, a billionaire banker, a former Goldman Sachs partner. Uh, who purchased the failing IndyMac bank during the great foreclosure price, uh, crisis. We discussed this earlier this week with my guest journalist David Dayan, uh, who, who got a tip, who broke a huge story based on a memo that actually comes up in, uh, in, in these hearings today, I think in this next clip. Uh, Mnuchin, uh, he renamed the bank One West, and he proceeded to foreclose on some 60,000 American families uh, earning the nickname the Foreclosure King. Uh, in many, uh, if not all of those cases, as as Dane reported, the paperwork for the foreclosures was itself often allegedly fraudulent, including some forms that were apparently backdated to 2008, despite the fact that Mnuchin, Mnuchin's company, One West, did not even come into existence until 2009. Here was one of the contentious... Uh, uh, exchanges between uh, Sherrod, Senator Sharon Brown, Democrat of Ohio, and Steve Mnuchin at today's hearing. In 2006, um, businessman Donald Trump responded to a question about the possibility of a real estate crash by saying, quote, I sort of hope that happens because then people like me would go in and buy, unquote. Now, you didn't just buy properties. You bought the bank. You bought the ability to help families stay in their homes. That's not what you did. So my questions are these. You've been saying that One West is a success. Look at the record. I really want yes or no answers. Is it true that community groups say that One West foreclosed on 60,000 families nationwide and denied three-fourths of mortgage, mortgage modification applications? 
I am I am not aware of that. I know they've objected. Well, they did. To a they did. Okay. Is it true? Oh, well, if, if you know they did, then why, well, because I want you, you to, I want to hear it from you. If you don't know it, well, that I, I don't have it in front too. of me. I, I'm, no. I'm going to keep interrupting because we don't have a lot of time. I apologize if you see that as rude, but this is I don't. This see is it the as people's rude. business. That's okay. Thank is you. it true that one West regulators, that's the OCC, said that you had deficient mortgage practices, foreclosed on ten thousand plus borrowers without proper procedure, and at least twenty three who were current on their mortgages. So what I would say is we followed the same procedure yes or no. that the FDIC, Did the OCC say that that the FDIC followed. We inherited the FDIC yes, the OCC procedures. Has said that. Let him answer the question. Is it, is it true that One West independent audit firm said that it violated the Service Member Civil Relief Act by initiating foreclosures on 54 active duty military families? That's what the independent audit firm said. Yes or no? Well, you have the document in front of you. I don't. Okay. okay. Well, they, well, they so, did. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm pretty surprised you don't know these things because you've been rather defensive for probably good reason about what happened at, at, at One West. Is I, it true that the California Attorney I, General... I do want to just comment for the record. We unfortunately did foreclose on certain people in the military. It was quite unfortunate. It was inappropriate. We responded to those people and made them whole. As I said, every single person had the opportunity to have their mortgage reviewed, and we corrected any errors. Well, Our yes. errors were less than Perhaps. anybody else. Okay, I, I'm so it's cut not you off that again. I'm being defensive. I'm proud of our Well, I, I wouldn't be proud of all these findings, but is it true that the California Attorney General's Office said that One West backdated 96% of the documents they examined, and then you aggressively obstructed their investigation? That's what the Attorney General's Office said. Did they say that? So first, let me comment that I saw the leaked memo as you did. I think it's highly inappropriate that somebody at the Attorney General's office would So is there no internal, truth in that about backdating uh, 20, again, 96%? Uh, again, what I would say is the primary regulator was the OCC. They were the ones who had the obligation to regulate And us. OCC said those and things that you couldn't, uh, Mr. Mr. Mnuchin, I'm sorry. The OCC said these same, they, they, they said you had these deficient mortgage practices, but you couldn't remember when I asked you about OCC. No, now that, you're citing OCC in, in response to California Attorney General. <laughs> so that was, uh, well, and it went on and on like that between uh, uh, Sherrod Brown and Steve Mnuchin. Uh, it was also not just Democrats for a change. It was actually uh, most of the Republicans in the meeting were couldn't have been nicer and more welcoming to Mnuchin. Uh, but Dean Heller, Republican of Nevada, where they had a huge problem with these foreclosures and these bankruptcies and so forth, um, also had some sharp questions uh, for Mnuchin. How many uh, Nevada homes were in one, uh, in one West's bank's portfolio? Yeah, uh, un un unfortunately, and I'll, I'll go back and request that information from the bank. I, I no longer have that information, but uh, I, I, I will work with the bank to try to get that for you. How many Nevadans did uh, one West bank foreclose on while you own the bank? Again, I have the information that's in public reports, but uh, I'm absolutely committed to, to go back and get that information for you from the bank. So I apologize. I don't have that with me today. And, and I, I do appreciate how hard your, your state was hit in, in the foreclosure crisis. Do you know how many Nevadans uh, One West Bank uh, provided assistance to through loan modifications? Again, I... I go back and try to get all that information. Here's the reason why I ask you these three questions over again, um, is that uh, this is the seventh time I've asked. 
So I asked you when you were in my office, and I had my staff follow up on it three times by text and twice by phone, and we still can't get the answers to these questions. And I'm not. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, kind of brutal there. He said, uh, of course, he apologized. He's been very, very busy. But uh, Republican Senator Dean Heller was none too happy with uh, with Mnuchin. Uh, meanwhile, over in the uh, Health and Human Services uh, director, uh, the nominee, Tom Price, uh, his hearing was yesterday. And uh, there was a couple of points that I wanted to get to uh, from Tom Price. I know we're, we're short on time. I need to get to my guest. But let me let me just run this one uh, for now. Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, pressed Tom Price on whether he believes that health care, after all, Tom Price is going to be overseeing health and human services, which is responsible for Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, Senator Sanders asked Tom Price whether he believes that health care should be a right for all Americans. Congressman Price, the United States of America is the only major country on Earth that does not guarantee health care to all people as a right. Canada does it. Every major country in Europe does it. Do you believe that health care is a right of all Americans, whether they're rich or they're poor? Should people, because they are Americans, be able to go to the doctor when they need to, be able to go into a hospital because they are Americans? Yes, we're a compassionate society. No, we're not a compassionate society. In terms of our relationship to poor and working people, our record is worse than virtually any other country on Earth. We have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any other major country on Earth, and half of our senior older workers have nothing set aside for retirement. So I don't think, compared to other countries, we are particularly compassionate. But my question is, in Canada, in other countries, all people have the right to get health care. Do you believe we should move in that direction? If you want to talk about other health countries' health care systems, there are consequences to the decisions that they've made, just as there are consequences to the decisions that we've made. I believe and I look forward to working with you to make certain that every single American has access to the highest quality care and coverage that is possible. Has access to does not mean that they are guaranteed health care. I have access to buying a $10 million home. I don't have the money to do that. And that's why the, the, we, we, we believe it's appropriate to put in place a system that gives every person the financial feasibility to be able to purchase the coverage that they want for themselves and for their family. Again, not what the government forces them to buy. Yeah, but if they don't have any, well, that's a longer story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, the, the, the question was brutal on policy, frankly, uh, by Democrats um, in a good way. Uh, particularly pointed exchange had Senator Elizabeth Warren noting that some, you know, 100 million Americans receive health care via Medicare and Medicaid. And she tried to get Tom Price to uh, commit to not cutting Medicare, Medicaid, uh, as Donald Trump himself said over and over again in the campaign tra- on the campaign trail that he did not want to cut Medicare or Medicaid. Tom Price would not uh, commit to ensuring that as the uh, if he's nominated as the uh, secretary of health and human services. But that was all policy stuff. The concerns about Tom Price's personal investments to the reported tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars into healthcare related companies as a congressman who then carried out legislative business in Congress that would help those companies, many of which he will now be overseeing in some fashion if confirmed. As the chief of the Health and Human Services uh, <clears throat> Department, those concerns about his personal investments 
are getting quite a bit of notice in uh, in both the media and his meeting on Wednesday in the Senate Help Committee. We'll talk about those concerns with my guest next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Questions about Donald Trump's own conflict of interest, of course, continue to grow even as Similar questions are swirling and growing and now being raised at these Senate confirmation hearings for his top cabinet nominees. The question, however, is not just about conflicts of interest for Congressman Tom Price of Georgia. He's Trump's nominee to head up the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees, among other things, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as well as Medicare and Medicaid. But in Congressman Price's case, there are both ethical and potentially violations of law in regard to his investments in healthcare companies at the same time that he was working on legislation in Congress over the past uh, many years that might have benefited some of those companies. Price was asked about a number of these investments, reportedly to the tune of at least $300,000, during his confirmation hearing on Wednesday in the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Here's Democratic Senator Al Franken of Minnesota asking about a private stock purchase that Price and just a handful of others were allowed to make in a company called Innate Immunotherapeutics at a special price not available to the public before the company's stock then went public and the price soared. You purchased this $50,000 to $100,000 worth of stock in a biomedical company called Innate Immuno. We've talked about it a little bit. It's the single largest purchase in the past three years in a private deal that was not made available to the public. And I find it absolutely amazing that you responded that you did not know that you got a discounted price. That is absolutely amazing because we discussed this. Well, by definition, I believe that's the, that's the nature of a private placement offering. What I said to you and what I've said to others is that I, I paid exactly the same price as everybody else. I disclosed it. It was a private offering that only went to about 20 people including uh, representative, your colleague, Chris Collins, his chief of staff, and a prominent D.C. lobbyist. And you reported fifty dollars to $100,000 in profits on this purchase. It really begs credulity, sir, when you say you did not know that you got a discount on this. This was a private offering to a very small number when you have the 
committee, uh, chairman of the budget committee, when you have uh, a congressman, his chief of staff, these sound like sweetheart deals. And I think that our job in this body and in Congress and in government is to avoid the appearance of conflict. And boy, you have not done uh, done this. Yeah, to say the least, that was Senator Al Franken of Minnesota questioning Tom Price on Wednesday in his Senate confirmation hearing. Add to that uh, this week, CNN reported Congressman Price also purchased stock in a medical supply company named Zimmer Biomet just before introducing legislation that would help the company. That purchase, CNN reports, was then followed up by a donation from the company to Congressman Price. He has since said he didn't know about the purchase. It was done by his broker. But uh, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts during Wednesday's Senate hearing clearly did not believe him and in any case wonders why he didn't sell the stock even after he now admits he was notified about the purchase. Now, I also would like to follow up on Zimmer Biomet. They're one of the world's leading manufacturers of hip and knees, and they make more money if they can charge higher prices and sell more of their products. The company knows this, and so do the stock analysts. So on March 17, 2016, you purchased stock in Zimmer Biomet. Exactly six days after you bought the stock on March 23, 2016, you introduced a bill in the House called the HIP Act that would require HHS Secretary to suspend regulations affecting the payment for hip and knee replacements. Did you buy the stock and then did you introduce a bill that would be helpful to the companies you just bought stock in? The, the, the stock was bought by a direct, by a broker who was uh, making those decisions. I wasn't making those decisions. Okay, so you said you weren't making those decisions. Uh, let me just make sure that I understand. These are your stock trades, though. They are listed under your name, right? They're made on my behalf, yes. Okay, was the stock purchased through an index fund? I don't believe so. Uh, through a passively managed mutual fund? No, it's a, it's a, through an it's a broker. Through an actively managed mutual fund? It's a broker directed account. a blind account. trust? So let's just be clear. This is not just a stock broker, someone you pay to handle the paperwork. This is someone who buys stock at your direction. This is someone who buys and sells the stock you want them to buy and sell. I want to understand, when you found out that your broker had made this trade without your knowledge, did you reprimand her? What, what, what I did well, was comply. Found out that she made it. What I did was comply. Did you, did you sell the stock? What I did was comply with the rules of the house in an ethical and legal and above board manner and in a transparent way. You know, all right. Your periodic transaction report notes that you were notified of this trade on April 4th, 2016. Did you take additional actions after that date? to advance your plan to help the company that you now own stock in? I'm offended by the insinuation, Senator. Well, let me just read what you did. You may be offended, but here's what you did. Congressional records show that after you were personally notified of this trade, which you said you didn't know about in advance, 
that you added 23 out of your bill's 24 co-sponsors, that also after you were notified of this stock transaction, you sent a letter to CMS calling on them to cease all current and future plan mandatory initiatives under the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And just so there was no misunderstanding about who you were trying to help, you specifically mentioned Two minutes for up, Senator replacement. Warren. Oh, Thank you. man. Wow. Brutal. That was Elizabeth Warren questioning Tom Price about that uh, Zimmer Biomet investment just last year. Revelations like these have led groups like the nonpartisan government watchdog Public Citizen, which has created a Web page to track many of these conflicts of interest of the Trump cabinet appointees at CorporateCabinet.org has led groups like them to call for an investigation into Price's investments. Joining us now to discuss just some of these concerns about uh, Trump's nominee uh, to head up the huge and hugely important Department of Health and Human Services is Craig Holman. He's governor, a government affairs lobbyist for Public Citizens Congress Watch, which champions consumer interests before the U.S. Congress and serves as a government watchdog. Craig Holman, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. Uh, always great to have you here. Uh, boy, oh boy, that was uh, quite a smoking that uh, that I think Price took from uh, from at least Elizabeth Warren there. Uh, b- but before the uh, Zimmer Biomet investment came to light this week that uh, Senator Warren was talking about, your group, Public Citizen, had already called for an investigation into Price's investments and the the possibility of insider trading by the congressman and by Congressman Chris Collins of New York. He was uh, mentioned in that clip by Al Franken as well, I believe. So what were your concerns about Price? Uh, and and who is the proper agency to carry out uh, these investigations at this point? Well, first of all, uh, red flags were raised when you just take a look at the stock market activity of both Price and Collins. Both these members of Congress sit on subcommittees on health that gives them the opportunity to receive inside non-public information and possibly trade on that. When you take a look at the stock market activity of both these members of Congress, they are prolific active traders in the stock market and focusing on the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry companies. You know, so that immediately raises red flags. But, you know, that's not enough information to file any kind of, you know, letter of inquiry to, uh, to ethics officials. But then when I took a look at some of the more specific ones, that innate immunotherapeutics, mm-hmm. one that was mentioned uh, during the course of the hearings, this is a very peculiar, troubling matter. First of all, this is a a company based in Australia that, believe it or not, Chris Collins sits on the board of directors. Mm. This company this company is experimenting with a, with a drug that may be able to address multiple sclerosis. Uh, we don't know how those experiments experiments are turning out. But if anyone did know, it would be Collins who's sitting on the board of directors. Mm. And then in August, Collins bought. Four million shares of this company, his own company, uh, to become the largest shareholder of the company itself. And two days later, Price followed suit, buying anywhere up to $100,000 worth of shares himself. In the short period from August to today, 
those shares have have literally tripled in value. And, man, that is a one big red flag. Well, it sure is, and I think it came up in the hearings that it was Collins himself. If I if I recall those hearings correctly, I've been watching a lot of them, so forgive me, but I think it was Collins himself who had tipped off Tom Price to this company and helped him get into this uh this private placement offering, buying the buying the stock at this special price, uh, is is that your understanding? And is there anything? I mean, it may be unethical, uh, but but is there anything illegal about uh, this sort of a, a, a private uh, private prices for stocks being offered to Congress members like this? Uh, nothing illegal in that, but just in exceed it just raises raises more suspicions. Uh, first of all, in the course of the hearings, Price was directly asked, "Was he tipped by Collins?" Which, judging from the two-day delay between Collins and Price buying the same stock, you know, I, I could have answered that question. <laughs> uh, but Price did admit that he was tipped off. Now it could become insider trading if Collins actually has some sort of non-public material information that prompted him to start making those big trades and getting his friends and colleagues and I may add campaign contributors mm -hmm. to also make uh, those types of investments. Uh, that's that's where only the SEC and the Congressional Ethics Office can uncover that. I've got all the public information that shows all kinds of suspicious activity happening one right after another, but I can't prove insider trading until, you know, that has to be done by an agency that has subpoena authority. Yeah. And, and that's why I've submitted my letters to OCE and the SEC. Now, the OCE, that's the, uh, the Office of Congressional Ethics. That's the one that they were trying to uh, gut uh, at least a little bit uh, several weeks ago, uh, as I understand it. And that was uh, they reversed course on that after public outrage. Um, but they don't uh, con Congressional Ethics Office, to my knowledge, they don't bring actual criminal lawsuits or, or even uh, civil lawsuits. The SEC can bring such a case. But there is the thing, the, the Stock Act. You say this is not a, a violation of law, but doesn't the Stock Act, isn't that a law? And doesn't it keep Congress members like this from, from taking advantage of insider information like this? If it was inside, insider trading, yes, it would be a violation of the insider trader law. You know, here's a, a little background that perhaps some of your listeners aren't aware of. Do you know, prior to passage of the Stock Act in 2012, it was legal for members of Congress to trade on insider information. What would have sent you and Martha Stewart and I to prison yeah. was perfectly legal for members of Congress to do. So we, we forced Congress into passing the Stock Act to apply the insider trading law mm -hmm. to themselves. And if there was, if Collins did use non-public material information to facilitate these trades, that would be a violation of the Stock Act. And yes. who, who would enforce that? Is that the SEC? Is that the Attorney General? Who, who would enforce that? Well, the SEC should take primary responsibility on it. However, the Office of Congressional Ethics is the one real, effective, active ethics agency at the congressional level. And if OCE were to do a thorough investigation, 
uh, that their reports would help facilitate any further action by the SEC, which is why I filed it in my letter with both of them. And uh, that's an independent body, right? The Office of Congressional Ethics. In other words, that's not controlled by the Republicans. So uh, theoretically, they are independent enough to go after uh, something like this? They are independent agency, yes, not run by members of Congress, and uh, they can't pursue any legal action. What they do is they uh, compile reports and do an analysis and scrutinize what's going on Mm -hmm. and then make recommendations to the House Ethics Committee for further action. And and by the way, we created OCE in the the wake of the Jack Abramoff scandals Mm -hmm. in, uh, in 2007 and 2008, and it's because the House Ethics Committee is members of Congress themselves overseeing their colleagues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only thing they were good at was sweeping all these ethics uh, abuses under the rug so no one could see what was going on. So we created OCE to make the ethics process actually work in Congress. And uh, that OCE office, they are... They are one tough, tough little ethics agency. Yeah, no, I know they are. That's why I'm wondering. Have you heard back? You you sent this uh, letter, I guess, in early January. This uh, complaint to the uh, OCE. Have you yet heard anything back from them on on this matter? No, only formal acknowledgement that they received the letter, and I don't expect to hear from them for some time. Now, I, I want to clarify. I, yeah. I mean, I also sent this letter to SEC because if if Price is confirmed. Uh, for this administration post, he will leave Congress, and OCE loses jurisdiction mm. over Price. And that's why I sent it also to the SEC. Ah, I understand. Okay, and wh- what do you make of this um, this Zimmer Biomet issue that Elizabeth Warren brought up, uh, where he, he purchased this, uh, this stock in this company? He says it was his broker. He knew nothing about it. But then he uh, introduced legislation to help out the company, and then the company... A few weeks later, subsequently gave him uh, uh, donations to his uh, to his campaign group. Uh, what do you make of that? It raises a question of a potential violation of a very different uh, federal law and congressional rules. The first case of innate immunotherapeutics, mm-hmm. uh, if there were a violation there, it would be of the insider trading law. In this latter case, it isn't insider trading uh, that Price may have done. He bought $15,000 worth of stock in this company, uh, Zimmer Biomed, mm-hmm. and then introduced the HIP Act shortly afterwards that would have increased the value of Zimmer Biomet and a couple other companies. Now, if he actually did that as a means of increasing the value of his own investment, that would be a violation of federal law that prohibits the use of public office for personal gain. So as opposed to violating the insider trading law, another law comes into effect, both of which could uh, present, uh, you know, felony, uh, criminal really? enforcement actions, yes. And, and, but, but, that, but that would be Donald Trump's own uh, Department of Justice, would it not, at that point? It certainly does raise a quandary here. I mean, uh, you know, the SEC is also going to be under control of the Trump administration. Yep. And so will the Department of Justice. Now, if these people who are taking over these agencies, uh, you know, simply don't take their mission seriously and believe they're being appointed in order to just, you know, actually 
undermine enforcement mm-hmm. of ethics rules. Uh, we're not likely to see much come out of this other than other than public outrage. But hopefully the people who are taking over the SEC and the Attorney General uh, will, in fact, believe in the mission that they're being appointed to do. And, and, and just to be clear here, because we've learned in recent weeks that presidents can have virtually any type of conflicts of interest they like, uh, at least according to law, but, but the laws are different as they are applied to cabinet members, right? They, they don't have the same sort of, let's call it, immunity that, that presidents enjoy? That's right. The conflict of interest statute is 18 U.S.C. 208, and it was originally passed to apply to the president as well as to cabinet officials, and it prohibits uh, whoever it applies to from holding uh, investments that pose a conflict of interest with their official duties. Mm-hmm. Back in the 1970s, the Department of Justice came up with an advisory opinion where they said, well, we're not going to apply this law to the White House anymore, so it doesn't apply to the president or vice president. And But even then, uh, every president in the last 40 years has complied with the spirit of the law and divested any kind of investments that posed a conflict of interest and created a blind trust. Donald Trump is the very first president not to abide by the spirit of that conflict of interest law. Which is troubling, because uh, that means that if, if he's not willing to hold himself accountable to any of these things, uh, holding any of his, his cabinet members and his top advisors accountable, frankly, would only make Trump look bad for also not being held accountable. So it feels like a lot of this is going to, uh, as you say, you know, get brushed under the, under the rug. Now, I know that Public Citizen has set up corporatecabinet.org uh, to help highlight the, these unprecedented corporate uh, conflicts of interest for the Trump administration and the top uh, cabinet nominees. So I suspect we will be turning to you guys quite a bit in the, uh, in the coming weeks and months over there at, uh, at Public Citizen. But uh, who, who are uh, some of the other cabinet members with, with some similar concerns, very quickly before we get out here, uh, that, that you and Public Citizen uh, as a group are most keeping your, your collective eyes on in, in the uh, incoming administration? Well, there is one other concern that I wanted to bring up on, on this mm-hmm. show. It's yeah. not news yet. No one knows about this yet. But uh, President Obama, the first day he stepped into the White House in 2009, he passed an ethics executive order that applied to all incoming personnel in the administration. They required them to sign an ethics pledge to recuse themselves from taking any official actions that affect their former employers or clients within the last two years. That has just disappeared. I have run over all the OGE ethics reviews of all the new Trump uh, nominees, uh-huh. and it isn't mentioned. There's no, it, it just vanished as if it doesn't exist. It still is an ethics, ethics order with the, with the authority of law. Uh, Trump hasn't gone into the White House yet to repeal it, right. but somehow he's convinced the Office of Government Ethics just to look the other way. It, it's so, been removed from the from the website. It just vanished. It just vanished. 
It's not mentioned anywhere in any of these OGE reviews. Why w- any speculation as to why that would be? I mean, other than President Obama doing some sort of a favor for the incoming President Trump, but that doesn't make sense, does it? Well, a number of us have been trying to pressure Donald Trump into preserving that ethics executive order. I want to highlight how significant it is. It really has made the Obama administration virtually scandal-free because everyone who was appointed into the administration just wouldn't do any kind of self-dealing anymore. They signed an ethics pledge that they just won't help out their former employers or clients. So it it made the Obama administration literally scandal-free. We've been trying to get Donald Trump to declare that he'll preserve it and keep it in effect. We haven't heard anything back and now I've just gone through all the OGE ethics reviews, and I see it's just disappeared. So it sounds, it appears that Donald Trump has just sort of instructed OGE that, you know, forget about it. Wow. Uh, you know, we're not going to go with it once he steps into the White House, and so don't even put it in the review process at this point. Wow. Well, I would be uh, very interested if you learn anything from the OGE uh, in, in that regard in the coming weeks. Craig Holman, uh, check out their important work, and it's more important than ever, frankly, uh, at Public Citizen. You can find them at citizen.org. As I said, you can check out corporatecabinet.org. You can follow them on the Twitters at public underscore citizen. And you can uh, harass uh, Craig Holman on the Twitters at C.B. Holman. Uh, He's government affairs lobbyist for Public Citizens Congress Watch. Craig, always great to talk to you. And uh, yes, we will be bothering you a whole bunch in the coming weeks and months and years, I'm afraid. I look forward to it, Brad. Take care. Thank you, Craig. All right, quick break, and we're back with more hearings on the Green News Report and more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, melting with you and Desi Doyen. Oh, Dad, before we get to our Green News report, are you, you going to be going to the inauguration uh, tomorrow? I am not going to be going <clears throat> to the inauguration. I'd rather not. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. It's, uh, it's going to be quite a show, I'm told, by Donald Trump, that it's going to be the greatest show on earth. They shut down this greatest show on earth. They shut down. They're shutting down the circus. Yes, they are. <clears throat> I think it's uh, no coincidence. I'm just saying we had a circus, which I love. We had a circus before Donald Trump was elected president. But now there'll be no more Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus I after know. he's the president. I know. It's <clears> a not saying they're related, but, 
you know, maybe they're related. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. But I need you also to be worried about human health. Democratic senators grill Trump's EPA pick. I think where there's debate uh, on it is what that influence is. While his Interior Department nominee denies scientific consensus. Obama slips in one more parting gift for the planet. Plus, global temperatures hit a record high in 2016. It's official. 2016 was the hottest year on record for the third straight year in a row. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. What the American people are expecting here is the EPA doesn't turn into every polluter's ally. Well, the American people are just going to have to lower their expectations, aren't they, Senator? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you're covering a number of the uh, confirmation hearings on today's Green News report. However, as we go to air, former Texas Governor Rick Perry is about to begin his confirmation hearings uh, as he has been named to be Donald Trump's secretary of the Department of Energy. And the New York Times reports yesterday that when uh, Rick Perry accepted that job, he had no idea what the Department of Energy actually did. Oh, dear. He thought it was uh, for oil and gas. Nope. It's uh, it's for nuclear issues. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, it'll be great. Meanwhile, Scott Pruitt, the attorney general of Oklahoma, got a grilling from Democratic senators on Wednesday during his U.S. Senate confirmation hearing to head the Trump administration Environmental Protection Agency, an agency he spent his political career attacking. Pruitt has no environmental accomplishments, but has sued the agency numerous times on behalf of corporate polluters to block, delay, or weaken pollution standards that protect public health, clean air, and clean water, and fight climate change. A big question is whether Pruitt will recuse himself from the lawsuits he launched against the EPA as Oklahoma Attorney General. If confirmed, he could revise or cancel those regulations or settle those lawsuits. That's a huge conflict of interest, as noted by Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts. If you don't agree to recuse yourself, then again, you become plaintiff, defendant, judge, and jury on the cases that you're bringing that ha- right now as Attorney General of Oklahoma against uh, the EPA. So he's talking about the idea that Pruitt could settle EPA lawsuits that he himself has filed. He would be settling suits that he has filed now against himself. Settling with himself, yes. Nice work if you can get it. Pruitt disagrees with Donald Trump that climate change is a hoax, but he is skeptical of how much human activity is to blame and what, if anything, government should do about it. Science tells us that the climate is changing and then human activity in some manner impacts that change. The ability to measure with precision the degree and extent of that impact and what to do about it are subject to continuing debate and dialogue, and well, it should be. Notice what he did there. He slipped in two things. He said how much man is involved in climate change is subject to debate and what we should do about it is subject to debate. That last part is true. That first part is false. Meanwhile, Montana Congressman Ryan Zinke also peddled a similar dodge in his confirmation hearing to head the Interior Department. That manages the nation's public lands and natural resources. Like Pruitt, Zinke, too, questions the man-made part of man-made climate change, but he threaded a bipartisan needle on balancing conservation and industrial development. He supports fossil fuel extraction on public lands, but he's against private Privatizing them. I want to be clear in this point. I am absolutely against 
transfer or sale of public land. Good. Uh, That's a clear answer. can't be any more clear. No, you can't. Thank you. So far, all of Trump's cabinet nominees have transitioned to that next stage of climate change denial, that denying the global science consensus that humans are to blame for global warming and debating the necessity of phasing out fossil fuels to avoid catastrophic impact. Meanwhile, a new Reuters poll finds that more than 60 percent of Americans want to see the EPA's authority preserved and strengthened, and they want to see the drilling of oil on public lands either hold steady or decline. Against that backdrop of denial, NASA and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, made it official. 2016 was the hottest year on record globally since record-keeping began in the 1880s, breaking the record for the third year in a row, which is in itself also a record. The New York Times reports, quote, temperatures are heading toward levels that many experts believe will pose a threat to both the natural world and human civilization and will continue to exceed records. Finally, some good news. The Obama administration gave another last-minute gift to the world, fulfilling a promise made under the historic United Nations Paris Agreement, paying another $500 million into the U.N. Green Climate Fund that helps developing nations prepare for climate impacts and leapfrog to renewable energy. That money can't be taken back. And not a moment too soon, literally in every way. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we could not get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. We'd also appreciate your support to help us stay on the air by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. what I'm worried about the I point know. of no return but let me let me uh, close here today with with a positive thought on all of this Desi Doyen okay uh, besides the fact that it's great music there to help along with the <laughs> point of no return it, well yeah <laughs> indeed but but no maybe uh, maybe there's something good here maybe the fact we talked about Rick Perry earlier that uh, now that he's gonna run the Department of Energy he's come to learn about climate change and has actually come to learn about science and he may understand what is going on we're talking about Rex Tillerson who definitely understands uh, uh, climate change no matter what he says as uh, CEO of Exxon Mobil as Secretary of State he understands so you've got all of these Republicans that are coming to terms at least in some regard with climate change. It's going to make it harder and harder for them to not take action. If they hadn't won this election, they'd be out there in in the, the full denial mode that they've been in for so many years. Now that they got to run the joint... Uh, am I being too optimistic to no, say? No, I was just going to say, so you're basically you're saying that because of necessity, Republicans may be evolving. Yeah, not in as much as they believe in evolution, but right. uh, but yeah, they they may be evolving in a way that they probably wouldn't have evolved had Democrats remained in charge of uh, at least of the White House. I am happy to consider a silver lining. Absolutely. I'm looking for any silver lining I can. So we'll go with that one. My thanks to uh, Desi Doyne. Thank you so much for all of the work you've been doing in the past couple of weeks trying to keep up with these hearings. We'll have more, I, I know, coming up next week. 
Uh, my thanks also to uh, Craig Holman of Public Citizen and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. You can reach me via email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find, follow me, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. All right. Buckle up. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.